0: Good morning, Church. Uh, sounded great. Um, I invite you to turn with me to uh, Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter three. As we continue in our sermon series uh, entitled "Foundations and Pillars," today we're going to look at um, our third pillar of Redeemer Church that we've identified as a church is a very important pillar to to the universal church, but specifically to Redeemer Church, um, and that is the pillar of discipleship. Now, um, we define discipleship at Redeemer Church as our commitment to train one another, to train believers in faithful gospel application, training, training one another, training believers in faithful gospel application. And so this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to walk through this passage in Colossians. And I want us to look at the text through the window of discipleship. And what I mean by that statement is, I want us to see the great joy, the great joy in how the gospel empowers us to engage faithfully and fruitful discipleship in our church. To engage faithfully and produce fruitful discipleship in our church, in our homes, and in every relationship of our lives. And our prayer this morning is that the Word of God would speak clearly, powerfully, and winsomely to us through the exposition of Colossians. Now, before we get started in reading our passage of Scripture, I want us to define a few things. What is a disciple? We talk about discipleship. We really need to know what a disciple is. And, and simply put, a disciple is a follower. And when we look at it in the context of the church, a disciple of Jesus means someone who follows Jesus. That's his simple form. But I think more specifically, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down because this is really important. More specifically, disciples of Jesus are people who grow in the knowledge of God for the glory of Christ people who grow in the knowledge of God for the glory of Christ and stay firmly committed to the message of the gospel as they follow Christ. So you got disciples of Jesus, people who follow Jesus, there are people who grow in knowledge of God for the glory of Christ and stay firmly committed to the message of the gospel as they follow Christ. And as we know in all of Scripture, if we look at Jesus' life, if we look at the the Gospels and Scripture, we know that Jesus also calls His followers to help others follow Him. So a disciple, simply put, is a follower of Jesus, but Jesus Himself also commands us to disciple. Disciples always disciple. And so I think this is very important. So, disciples of Jesus are people who grow in the knowledge of God for the glory of Christ and stay firmly committed to the message of gospel as they follow Christ. Discipling involves conveying the knowledge of God and His Word through every moment, every relationship, and every facet of our life. That's what it means to disciple. It is to to take what I know, what I'm growing in in myself, what I'm committed to in myself, and transfer that, convey that into all the other relationships that we have in this walk of life. It's very important. Four fundamental truths of discipleship this morning that we are going to see in this passage. Four fundamental truths of discipleship that we're going to see in this passage. Take notes, write this down because this is you're going to see these woven and I'm not going to these are not necessarily my points. I'll make reference to these as we walk through. One, the glory of God is the aim of discipleship. The glory of God is the aim of discipleship. As I'm growing, as I'm knowing, I'm glorifying Christ. As I'm following, I'm glorifying Christ. That's the aim of discipleship. The grace of God is the hope of discipleship. The grace of God is the hope of discipleship. Third, the Word of God is the source of discipleship. The Word of God is the source of discipleship. And finally, the church of God is the means of discipleship. The church of God is the means of discipleship. And what we're going to see in our passage today is really two contexts, two arenas. There's two different arenas of discipleship found in Colossians 3, and I believe in the New Testament. The first arena of discipleship where these fundamental truths are displayed is the corporate gathering of the church. It's what we're doing here today. It's the corporate gathering of the church. That's one arena of discipleship. It's where God is glorified, where, where, where grace, the hope of grace to make me more like Christ is evident. It's where the word of God is te- taught and it is, it is the source, it is the fuel to which I grow like Christ. It is where, it is where the church is the means to help me as I hear the word, as I see the word live before me. It is this corporate gathering of the church. But not only that, the other arena is the personal life of each individual in the church. So two arenas, this corporate gathering in the church, and also the personal life of each member of the church. And so what we're going to do this morning as we we read the text and we walk through it, we're going to to focus in on these two arenas. And you're going to see those fundamental truths come out. And really what what I'm going to uh, 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 preach to you this morning is our need, our need for uh, to grow in Christ in our corporate gathering and our need to model Christ in our personal life. All right, So th- those are the things that we're going to look at. Our need to grow in Christ together here today. What we do when we the church is gathered. And also our need to model Christ in our personal life. All right, let's read the text together. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The first thing I want to draw attention to is the arena of a corporate gathering and how we need to grow like Christ. And so what we see that in is verse 16 and 17. Church, we need the word of Christ for gospel increase in our life. This is a key truth. This is a key truth for us. It's really going to set the stage for uh, us really growing in Christ. But we need the Word of Christ this morning. We need to hear this Word. Not because I'm preaching it, but because in it is everything that we need for life and godliness. And so the the key truth here is the, the Word of Christ must lead all ministry in the church. This Word, the Gospel, this Word, must lead all ministry in the church. This is a key truth. And so the question we have in the context of of really Colossians 3 that we've been walking through, so how? How, Paul? How do I practically put sin to death? How do I make progress in my Christian life? What's the plan? How do I do this? And in verse 16, Paul says, he gives us that plan when he says we are to let the Word of Christ, we are to let the Word of God, we are to let the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, God's key to our spiritual growth, dwell in us richly. What that means is, don't, let's go beyond superficial. Let's let it penetrate deeply in our lives. Make it a part of ourselves. Let it, let it soak in. Let it marinate. Let the Word of dwell in you richly. The word of Christ here in verse 16 is the gospel. It is the good news of salvation through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This, this word of Christ, the gospel is meant to dwell in, in us. It's meant to dwell. That word dwell, it means to, uh, to be at home, to feel at home, And this word richly means to have an abundance. This is not just us reading the Bible. It is not just us having an acknowledgement of the Bible. It is to subject ourselves to the authority of Scripture in our life. It is to understand that the Word of Christ, the Gospel, is everything I need. Everything that I've hoped for. Everything that I long for from now throughout all of eternity. It is to subject ourselves and to surrender ourselves to the person and work of Jesus Christ and and to allow that gospel, that teaching of Christ, to permeate everything in our life, to drive deep down into our soul so that we magnify Him with everything that is within us. It is this Word that brings salvation by grace through faith and it is that experience of grace and peace that leads to the gospel dwelling richly in our hearts. The Word of God is the source of discipleship. And so, what, is, what, is, what instruction does Paul give for discipleship in the church? In, in the arena of church, in our corporate gathering together, what instruction does Paul give for the disciples in the church? The first instruction he gives is that we need to grow in Christ by teaching the word in community. In other words, in our gathering to- together, we need to grow. We we need to be firmly established and then we need to grow deeper in to Christ by teaching the word in community. What Paul is saying here is he is exhorting the church to not be passive Receivers are passive consumers, but to be ministers of the word, to be ministers of the word. And as we do, the word of God will dwell in us richly. The abundant truth of Jesus Christ working in our hearts leads to fruitful gospel teaching ministry in the church. The abundant truth of Jesus, the good news of the gospel working in our hearts leads to fruitful gospel ministry, teaching ministry in the church. And a faithful gospel teaching ministry in the church leads to a rich gospel affection in our hearts. How will the word of God, word of Christ, dwell in you richly? How will it dwell in me richly? It will happen, Paul says, as we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Church, we are not to simply be consumers of the Word. We are all called to be ministers of the Word. We teach each other because we need to know the Word of God. And we admonish one another because... We don't know the Word of God. We need each other. And this ministry here at Redeemer, a discipleship ministry, is a teaching ministry. I need the Word of God to dwell in me richly. So I need a pastor who lovingly teaches me the Scriptures in our corporate gathering. Like, I need that. My wife needs that. My children need that. And so I need teachers in the classrooms with my children, faithfully teaching the Word of Christ so that it would dwell in them richly that they would grow to know Him. I need that from my church. And you need that from your church. And Christ has called us all to be ministers of this Word. There is a sense in which all of us are to be speaking the Word to one another. And that's what Paul says in our text. Not just hearing the word Sunday by Sunday, but proclaiming, teaching, and admonishing. Teaching and admonishing in all wisdom. Proclaiming and sharing the word throughout one another's lives. We need to grow in Christ by teaching the word in this community. We also need to grow in Christ by singing the word in community. Much has been debated, much has been uh, uh, labored uh, and talked about and discussed and caused great divisions about putting a great emphasis on the, the, the means of singing, like the method of singing. Am I to sing spiritual songs? Am I to sing psalms? Am I supposed to sing hymns? And I just want to say that I'm thankful to be a part of the church that that doesn't happen in. Uh, But the emphasis here is not the different measures of praise, but the content of praise. The word of Christ is not only to be taught, but the word of Christ is meant to be praised. It is meant to be sung. When the word of Christ dwells richly in the heart of the church, the ministry of song will be joyous and it will be a somber celebration of the greatness and goodness of the gospel. And if you go back to Colossians 1:9, where it talks about the grace of God and truth, that we have received and we know the grace of God and truth. A church that understands and knows the grace of God and truth, the word of Christ, is moved to echo, to echo this word through their songs. And that is the, the content of their praise. But he says, as you sing praises to God with thankfulness in your heart, there's something else that's going on. It is not just us ascribing worth to God. Praise be His name. But there's also a horizontal dimension to our worship. We are teaching and admonishing one another as we sing songs. As we sing psalms. As we sing hymns. As we sing together. We are doing more than celebrating God's grace in our lives. We are also teaching. Growing. And the word of Christ is bearing fruit in our lives. We need to understand that we don't just sing songs. <laughs> we don't just sing a song to be sung. We sing a song of praise because our God in heaven is worthy to be praised. And because we have been recipients of the grace of truth, we sing with a thankful heart to this God. But as we are singing, I surrender, we are also teaching one another the necessity of surrender. As we sing about Christ being the solid rock, we are teaching our children that they need this foundation. That will last forever. There's more than just singing a song to Jesus. We are teaching the very truths of Jesus as we sing. It's important, right? We need to grow in Christ by singing in community. Like I need to hear your voice as we sing the truths about God. I need to hear it. Because I need to grow. I need the Word of Christ to dwell in me richly. Not only do we need to grow in Christ by by teaching the Word in community and singing the Word in community, but we need to grow in Christ. I kind of made reference to this earlier. By thankful, Christ-honoring worship in community as well. Like in our corporate gathering. our, Our worship... We need to grow in our thankfulness to God. We need to grow in our Christ-honoring worship of God. We need the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly as we sing His praises, as we teach and admonish each other as Word ministers. And we also need the name and the presence of Jesus Christ to turn everything we do into doxology. Like, that's what we need. And I want want us to see something. We're going to read this passage one more uh, more time of just 16 and 17. And we'll focus in on 17 because I want you to notice the centrality of Christ in Colossians 3. And then I want you to see uh, why I would say we need to grow. We need to grow in our thankful, God-honoring, Christ-glorifying worship. Let the Word of Christ... Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The centrality of, of Christ, the, the preeminence of Christ. And the whole book of Colossians is amazing. But look at just Colossians 3. We have been raised with Christ. We are hidden with Christ. We are one day, we will be with Christ. We have been forgiven by Christ. We are loved by Christ. Our hearts are ruled by Christ. The work of Christ unites the church, and the word of Christ leads the church. Christ is all and all. Like, like, this is the centrality of Christ in, in, uh, in the church. And what does it mean to do something in the name of Jesus? It means to do it for His sake. It means to do it for His honor. It's to do it for the renown of His name. Because you are thankful. You are thankful that Christ is central to your life. I normally don't do this in, in my sermons because I'm not a Greek nerd, right? But I think it's very important for us to notice the Greek here. When it says that we are to be thankful, which is a theme of, I think, six or seven times Paul references thankfulness in this letter. But when in verse 16, when he says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God, in other words, doing these things with thankfulness in your heart to God, and also giving thanks to God the Father uh, through him, this word thankfulness, if you were to look at it in the original language, is very similar to a very recognized Greek word in, in the New Testament, and that is charis. It is grace. It's very, very close and similar in nature. And what I would like to, uh, to say about that, as you study this text, you will see that there is a deep-rooted connection to the, uh, between the grace of God and the thankfulness of our hearts. Between the grace of God. We have been saved by grace. And it is that grace that moves us to thankfulness. Hearts. It's important for us to say, why? what does it mean to do something in the name of Jesus? We're to do it for Jesus. We're to do it for His glory. We're to do it with thankful hearts. Everything that we do becomes worship. All of our life is doxology. And this is the aim of discipleship. We have been recipients of grace. And so we thank the Lord for that. And we do that together. I want to highlight the way the text is structured just for a minute. And we're going to give a point of application. If you look back at verse 15, and you look at 15, 16, and 17, what we see here is we see an exhortation to do something, then we see Christ, and then in each way we're called to be thankful. An exhortation, Christ, be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts in which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Paul is calling the church to thankfulness. As we recognize the full extent of the beauty and majesty and treasure that is Jesus Christ. Since we have been united to Christ through the gospel, since His peace rules our hearts, and since His Word dwells abundantly, we have everything we need for holy living and faithful ministry. Be thankful. Because we have experienced the grace of Christ, we want to live for Christ. Because we have enjoyed the peace of Christ, we want to obey Christ. Because we have been enriched by the Word of Christ, we want to honor Christ. This is what Paul is saying. That that when the church is gathered together, when the church is gathered together, we need each other. What is the application? The application is simple. To commit to train others in faithful gospel application by surrendering fully to the Lordship of Christ and to the ministry of the local church. That's a big application. We're going to digest this a little bit. Commit to, train to, the, to training others in faithful gospel application By how? By surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. The centrality of Christ. Everything that Christ is, everything that Christ does, everything that Christ desires of us and calls us to. Submitting to that and to the ministry of the local church. Which, guess what? The ministry of the local church is only authority is the Word of God. All right. So what we're saying here is that we're surrendering to the Lordship of Christ and we are surrendering to the authority of His Word. And so the bigger question is, and application is, how can Redeemer Church help you and your family grow in Christ? How can Redeemer Church help you and your family grow in Christ? I just listed a few things, and I think that you guys would affirm these. But sometimes we just need to be reminded of. One, Redeemer Church is committed to the consecutive and expositional preaching of God's Word. Like you can grow in Christ when preachers stand up and they preach the Word of Christ. They don't they don't try to add to they said, what does this word say? What does this word mean? And then how does it apply to the church today? How does it apply to my, Life and then consecutive walking through the scriptures together, preaching through books of the Bible. We take we usually alternate between Old Testament and New Testament, but we're trying to preach and teach the whole counsel of the Lord so that the word of Christ will dwell in us richly. This can help you grow. Second, Redeemer Church can help you grow because we're committed to provide. Opportunities for you to be built up through studying the Word together. In Sunday school, in Bible studies, in discipleship groups, we're committed to that. We're committed together as a church to to help each other grow. And these are ways and opportunities that we can do that. Redeemer Church is committed to sing songs that teach us the full redemptive story of Scripture. We, we don't just sing just bits and pieces and parts that make us really feel good. We sing all of Scripture. If you haven't noticed, take, just drop back just a minute and observe the structure and the order and, and, and the effort and prayer that has gone into just planning what we do on a particular Sunday. We are committed to provide opportunities for the church to pray together which is reminding each other of the promises of the gospel. This can help us grow and let the word of Christ dwell richly in our lives. The gospel is important. And we need to be reminded of those promises every single day. And prayer is such a fundamental and important vessel in which we Remember the promises of God in the gospel. The church is the God-ordained, Spirit-filled means of discipleship. The church is the God-ordained, Spirit-filled means of discipleship for you and I. And one arena that that happens is, is when the church is gathered together in community. But not only Paul, uh, I love his exhortation here, because not only are, are we committed to, to faithful application corporately, but Paul, through the inspiration of the Scriptures, would also say that there needs to be a commitment to faithful gospel application personally. Paul sees the necessity to grow and model Christ not only when the church is gathered, but also when the church is scattered. A faithful and fruitful discipleship ministry is for the whole life of the church. I'm going to say that again. A faithful and fruitful discipleship ministry is for the whole life of the church. And that is why the Apostle Paul spends the rest of this chapter giving us gracious and loving and hard exhortations to grow to be like Christ in our private relationships and our God ordained responsibilities. We need to understand that the corporate gathering of the church is so crucial to your life in Christ, it is so crucial. But just as crucial is that when we leave this church and we go do life in our homes and in our work, we also need each other. We need each other in those avenues. And that is just as important as being here today. As we get into the last part of Colossians 3, I just want to remind you, you guys are... are, I love teaching because you guys are, are, are students of the Bible. You know that in Paul, basically all of his letters to he puts out uh, indicatives and imperatives. He tells us who we are in Christ, and then he tells us how we ought to live because of who we are in Christ. I mean, that's kind of the, the theme. There's gospel theology, and then gospel practice. I mean, that's, that's how Paul writes his letter. In chapter 3, we see a picture-perfect example of this. Like, it is as clear as day. In verse 1, he starts with, if you have been raised with Christ. All right. so then he, he walks us through who we are in Christ. And then he tells us how we are to live. He gives us instructions on how we are to live. So as we look at this passage and we look at these exhortations that are very specific in nature, we want to remember that these imperatives of how we should live are based on the foundation that we belong to Jesus Christ. Like He is Lord of our life. We have surrendered to His Lordship. And we have surrendered to the authority of the work of the Word and the ministry of the Word in our lives. And because we belong to Jesus, we now can receive this instruction But because we know that it is from a good, good Father who desires for us to live a God-glorifying life. It's not meant to push us down. But it's made to build us up. It's not made to discourage us. Well, I never can do that. It's it's made to remind us that you can do all things in Christ because of His grace to you. It's very important for us to see. So we looked at the arena of of community discipleship, of corporate discipleship. Now let's look at the the arena of personal discipleship. Verse 18. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord." Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back, for the wrong is done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Now at Redeemer Church, we have walked through these passages before. We have taught these things, not just from the pulpit, but together in rooms and... and um, we We know that that faith in Jesus not only changes in individuals, it changes our homes, right? And, and we know, and we believe this. And I just want to say that we're not going to get into every aspect of this. We're not going to deep dive into what it means for a wife to submit to her husband, What does it mean for a husband to love, a children to fully obey? We're not going to walk through those everything because I want us to continue to look through this window of discipleship. Why is Paul writing? this. Why is Paul writing and continuing his exhortation to the church? There's necessity for the word to minister in their life. Is because what? We need, one, we need to grow to model Christ in our homes. The, the first institution God founded on earth was the home. And I believe, and I know that you guys will affirm this, one of the greatest and most joyous and most purposeful God-glorifying things that we can do as individuals and as a church is to help each other build godly Christian homes. Like that, that's, that's who we are, right? We, we, we want to see that. It's, it's great for the church to want to see homes thrive and to help. Homes thrives. It's great for a father to want his home to thrive and so he, he submits to Christ and he surrenders to Christ and he comes to the authority of Christ and then he seeks to lead like Christ. Paul understood that discipleship was not only necessary in the church, but it was necessary in every aspect, every aspect of our lives, including our families, including our homes. You know, it may be helpful for us to read Ephesians five this morning. Quickly, we're going to read Ephesians five. It is since it's a it's a parallel passage where Colossians hits things at a high level. Ephesians really is a wonderfully entrenched with a beautiful relationship between Christ and the church. And so, if we look at at um, At Ephesians 5, and we look at uh, verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We can continue on, but what I want us to see there is that we, 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 what we learn here from Ephesians and also what we learn from Colossians is that our homes are pictures of the gospel. Our homes are pictures of the gospel. Whether it's a wife submitting to her husband, a husband loving their wife, children obeying their parents, are servants surrendering and working hard for their master. It is pictures of the good news of Jesus Christ and His faithful living in our stead. It is a picture of that. And so let's look at a few things here. First, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. The form of the word submit here in the Greek gives the sense of volunteer submission. Volunteer submission. In the New Testament, submission is the standard default stance of every Christian toward God. We just read that. Submit yourself to one another in in Ephesians 5. The word submit does not imply servitude or inferiority in any way, but it is the posture of humility and reverence that is characteristic of every single child of God toward God toward one another, and toward those in authority. And when when he says, submit to your husbands, this is what's fitting in the Lord, he is simply saying, wives, live out the basic characteristic of a Christian in relation to your husband. Because submission is the default setting of the Christian heart. And when you submit to your husband, you are painting a picture of, of the church's submission to Christ for the world to see. And it's an opportunity to surrender your will for the purpose of fulfilling God's call to you as a wife. And therefore, by a picture of the relationship of Christ and His church to the world. We can spend a lot of time here. But here's what I know. When... when When wives, when you hear this, I know it's hard. Women, it's hard. There is no doubt about it. It is hard. There are times when you probably look at your husband and you look around and there's times when you struggle and you think, I simply cannot do this. Like, it's hard. And he goes on in verse 19 and he says, Husbands, love your wives... If you're in Christ's husbands, the Word of God requires you to love your wife. And not just to love her, but to love her like Christ loves the church and sacrificially gave Himself for her. You are to lead the way Jesus leads. I'm to lead the way Jesus leads. Sacrificing yourself, giving yourself up to her in love, pouring yourself out for her, putting your putting yourself and your own concerns to the side, that she may have your heart. And one thing I thought about as I was I was studying on this is like, what wife would not gladly to submit to such a man who would give himself up for her, like. God ordained the family, and God ordained the order of the family. And sometimes we get, you know, God, God the family, and this, this beautiful picture, it displays the glory of God, but sin, it distorts the, 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 the beauty of the family. And there's an order to it. But as we look at that, that, that order, think about if we are growing to model like Christ, the things that are hard become a lot easier. It's easier to submit to a husband who loves me and cares for me. And then Paul says that there is no place in a Christian marriage for harshness. Ever. The direct opposite of love is bitterness. Husbands are not only called to love their wives sacrificially, but to carefully and completely nourish them. To cherish them. When we think about our relationship, we're, we're to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And I just want us to think about, as we think about that, realize that your wife is not, um, she is your treasure, she is not your trophy. She is your treasure. That's how Christ, like the church, is Christ's treasure. It's not his trophy, it's his treasure. He loved her. Even when she was unlovable. He loved her and He gave Himself up for demonstrating the fullness of His love and His care. And then He nurtures her. He's never harsh with you. He's never harsh with the church. God in His love disciplines. God in His love cares. God in His love keeps. God in His love nurtures. So men, it's hard <clears throat> there are times again when you look around and you'll struggle and you'll think, "I can't do this. I can't love like Christ loved." Your wife is not submitting to you. What do you do with that? Your heart has become bitter because you see the things that you think that she should be doing and she's not doing. It's hard. And then in verse 20, he says, Children, obey your parents. Boys and girls, it's very clear. Jesus calls you to obey. Jesus calls you to obey your parents. And I think that this, like, I want to get (laughs) sidetracked. In the context of this, of the Church of Colossae. Just like save, uh, slaves were thought to be second class citizens, so were children. And Paul is doing something radically here. He is speaking to children. Like, this is unheard of. And what he's saying is, it says, You are highly valued, you are an image bearer of the king. This message is not for your parents. This is for you. And this is good news of great joy for you. That you have a loving Father in heaven who has called you to obedience. You have great dignity. You have great value. You have great worth in Christ. And you are completely responsible for your obedience in the home. If you're a follower of Jesus, young man and young woman this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're responsible to be obedient to your mother and father insofar as what they ask you to do is not contradiction to the Word of God and sin. We can can walk through a lot of this, right? Make make good home group conversation. (laughs) Boys and girls... Young men and women, you can't ever say, you know what, my family's really messed up. So that gets me off the hook. Boy, children, y'all can't say that, even though you see it. Like (laughs) I'm really messed up. They can tell you. It doesn't get you off the hook. There's no way to pass the buck or give an excuse for the indicative of this passage. Or how... Your parents behave to you. Christ calls you to follow Him by growing to model Him by being obedient. He gave us a great example, did He not? By becoming even obedient to His Father, even unto death. He submitted to the good will of His Father. So children, I know it's hard. You don't want to make your bed. You don't want to clean your room. You don't want to be kind to your siblings. You don't, let me speak to the young men in this room. Don't be harsh with your mother. Like, Christ wants you to be, you know, if I'm harsh to my wife, I'm giving them a, a bad example, right? But they're still responsible. Obey your parents, don't be harsh with your mom, right? It's hard. And there's going to be times that you look around and you're going to struggle and you're going to say, I can't do this. Then he goes on, verse 21, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children. See, Paul has a word for parents, particularly to fathers. Shepherd the hearts of your children. Encourage them. Be careful with them. Let them see... Uh, let them see you delight in them, that you're proud of them, that you celebrate them, that you rejoice in them. Nourish them in the path of obedience, not discouraging them, but nurturing them to see the value of Christ so that your children can look and say this. I'm going to read this because I wrote it down. I've learned so much about Jesus, not just by the things mom or dad said to me, but from the way they treated me. The patience that they showed me. How quick they were to forgive me. Their tender heartedness toward me. How they would weep with me and rejoice with me. They showed me what grace means. And I've learned so much about Christ from them in the way that they parented me. Parents, it is hard. From toddlers to teenagers. There's going to be times that you struggle and you think, I can't do this. But not only do we need to grow to model Christ in our homes, finally, and we're we're not going to spend too much time here, we need to grow to model Christ in our work. Verse 22 he says, servants, obey your masters. And then in verse chapter 4, verse 1, He says, masters, treat, treat your servants fairly. We could spend weeks walking through the context of the servant-master relationship in the Roman world and the many gospel applications found just in this passage. But here's what I want to say this morning. Our work is not something we do in addition to to our growth as a follower of Christ. Our work is not something we do in addition to our growth as a follower of Christ. Our work here and now is an expression of our Christian faith. Everything we do is an act of worship. Everything Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not men. Our work here and now is an expression of our Christian faith and it is an act of worship of God, whether we're in the home or we are in the office, the call to follow Christ is a call to honor Him and to serve Him with a sincere heart, with faith that you are now working for a new master. You have a new assignment, you have a new confidence, and you have a new reward. We need to grow to model Christ in our work by submitting ourselves faithfully to Christ in everything that we do. He ends this section by saying masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Everywhere you have people, you have problems, whether it's in the church or in the workplace. And so, for any of you who's ever managed people or run a business or anything like that, there's a word to you here and that is to Be fair. To be fair to your employees and to treat them well. They are given to you for a season. There's a lesson of stewardship here. And you you and I should treat them well. And that's a word I think we, we all keep in mind and that we need to remember. You'll have times when you struggle. You'll have times to where you don't see purpose in work. There'll be times to where you are tempted to lead selfishly instead of fairly and justly. But whatever we do, we do it with a sincere heart as we're doing it unto the Lord. So final application for this morning in the context of our personal, personal discipleship. We need to commit to train others in faithful gospel application by trusting in the grace of the Lord to help you grow to model Christ in our homes and in our working. Commit to train others in faithful gospel application by trusting in the grace of the Lord to help you grow to model Christ in our homes and in our working. I want you to look down at verse 23 with me. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the inheritance as your reward. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The word knowing here is the word trusting. This requires faith. It requires faith. We're making a commitment to train each other in faithful gospel application by knowing, by trusting in the grace of the Lord. You may be asking this morning how can I submit to my husband when he's not loving me or when he is so bitter to me? How can I do that? How can I love my wife when I have I have so many things competing for my affection? Like how can I love her? How can I really trust my parents enough, children, to obey them? They really don't care for me. Parent how how can How can I encourage my rebellious teenager when they will not even respect or listen to me? How can I sincerely serve Christ well when my boss is so belligerent? How can I grow to model Christ in my relationships when they are so difficult, they're so strained, and they're so discouraging? And here it is, church. We need each other today and we need each other every single moment of our life. The grace of God is our only hope in discipleship. And the church of God is our only means of discipleship. Like, we can't do it without grace. It's our only hope. You cannot submit. You cannot love. You cannot obey. You cannot serve. You cannot shepherd unless the grace of God is poured out on your life. And you will not do it well if the Word is not being ministered into your heart and life through the local church. So how can Redeemer Church help you to grow to model Christ even in the most difficult relationships? The personal relationships. My my personal responsibilities. God-ordained responsibilities. First, we all need to understand that we need each other today and every other day. So what do we do? We read and we speak the Word to each other. We spend time with each other. We pray for one another. We counsel one another. We love, we give, we share, we follow. These are applicational truths for us today. If you're struggling to submit to your husband, look. Look. We can go to Titus here. Look for older women in the church who could help you. Men, if you're struggling to love your wife, look for older men in the church who are loving their wife well and ask for help. (laughs) And the flip side of that is is we also should be engaging in that. The glory of God is the aim of discipleship. We need to understand it's all about Jesus. And everything that we do and everything that we say, both corporately and personally, is all about Jesus. And the grace of God is our only hope in discipleship. If we want to grow, we need the grace of God in our life. The Word of God is, our, is the source of our discipleship. We cannot deviate from here. This is all we have. This is all we need. And this is what we need to be holding fast to and the church is the God ordained, spirit filled means of discipleship. Let us commit to train believers in faithful gospel application.